side will be streaming live soon. Please stand by. We'll be streaming live soon. Please stand by. We'll be streaming live soon. Please stand by. We'll be streaming live soon. Good morning, beloved. I want to welcome you this morning to Bible study time here with Rick Bonfin Ministries. It is good to gather together on this, what is otherwise a beautiful day here in Virginia, while a storm is tearing through Florida and uh, Hurricane Ian. Let's uh, begin our time together with a prayer this morning for those folks. Let us pray. O Heavenly Father, whose property is always to have mercy, look with favor upon those struggling with the inclement weather in Florida and elsewhere. We bless you. We praise you. Help us to study your holy word and to gain knowledge from it, to handle it carefully. We do so pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, we're still studying the inexhaustible verses of First Peter. We've come a long way through this wonderful study to the end of it now. You're drawing through the end of the chapter of the study, at least otherwise. It's lots more we will probably be doing with this text, but I was given an option to pick and choose this morning. I had yesterday, the day before I was given that choice, I had the, uh, the opportunity to think about it. And so I landed on what to me was one of the most significant passages in the entire text. And it comes at the close when, when the writer or St. Peter hammers down on the elders, and the church members in this little community with his final desire for them. What he truly wants for his elders, as well as the other members, including the elders. So that's sort of what we're going to do. It's, first off, we're going to look at that division there between the elders and the and uh, what's been called lay folk, but I, I think it, it it means everybody in the association with them. His main warning comes at the third verse, and I'm going to I'm going to read this text to you in the Living Bible, and we're going to listen to the word here. He says in chapter five, verse one, and you can turn there. You can. Scrabble there and it says, and now a word to you elders of the church. I too am an elder with my own eyes. I saw Christ dying on the cross 
and I too will share his glory and his honor when he returns. Fellow elders, this is my plea for you. Feed the flock of God. Care for it willingly, not grudgingly. Not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve the Lord. Don't be tyrants, but lead them by your good example. And when the head shepherd comes, your reward will be a never-ending share in his glory and his honor. You younger ones, follow the leadership of those who are older. And all of you serve each other with humble spirits, for God gives special blessings to those who are humble, but sets himself against those who are proud. If you will humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, In his good time, he will lift you up. Let him have all your worries and cares. And watching everything that concerns you. Be careful. Watch out for attacks from Satan, your great enemy. He prowls around like a hungry lion looking for some victim to tear apart. Stand firm when he attacks. Trust the Lord. And remember that other Christians all around the world are going through their sufferings too. After you have suffered a little while, our God who is full of kindness through Christ will give you his eternal glory. He personally will come and pick you up and set you firmly in place and make you stronger than ever. To him be all power over all things forever and ever. Amen. And there ends the reading and the lesson for today. I may say to you, that this has meaning to me, great meaning to me, because I've been considered to be an elder in the church, but I've also considered myself always to be a member of the church, which isn't always true, but accurate as I can make it. So the words for the elder here are also words, I think, for the folk as well as words to the folk or words to the elders. I don't make a, a big deal over the division. But Paul once made clear that if you're going to lead a bunch of people, and that's what he presumes, particularly in his opening verses, he has a special word for these elders, he says. And he defines in this these statements how he perceives clerical leadership To work its way out. There are two basic functions that he mentions, which we can gather great, great pearls of wisdom from. 
first feed the flock. He says this to the elders, feed them. You don't just wait, sit back and wait for the Lord to feed them. You got work to do. To feed a flock, you got to prepare yourself. You got to get yourself ready. You got to be rested and well fed. That's the primary function of a good teacher, good, good uh, preacher's wife or husband is to keep your spouse in good shape and ready to go positive. Well, there's a lot more to it than that, but that's a root of it right there. Feed them. Feed them what you hear from God. See, now I'm not saying you have to feed them the Bible page by page and verse by verse. They can do that on their own. I'm telling you that your interpretation as an elder of what the text might mean is a blessing to the people. Blessing to them. Well, they may, they may learn something they don't want to know. They may hear something they don't want to hear. But if you hear it as an elder from the word and you proclaim it, you are feeding the flock of God. Because that's what they want. They're starving for somebody who can competently interpret the holy word of God. Interpretation involves a lot of stuff, a lot of homework, a lot of drudgery. You can get up one morning and do this one Sunday and be fine, but for, but for 52 Sundays out of a year, you're going to have to work at this to get this faith to feed them, feed them and lead them. Feed them and lead them. And I, I had to work on for an elder. You got to lead these people. You got to take them somewhere. You got to get in front of them or behind them or somewhere and make yourself known. And they'll follow. They'll follow. They won't be pushed. Douglas MacArthur, one time, the great American general, was asked how he was able to lead so many people. He took a piece of string. And laid it on the table. And he said, now how do you get that string across that table? He said, I don't push it. Because if I push it, it just balls up in a knot. What I do is I get in front of it and just tug it along. Tug it along. That's how he perceived leadership to be. I think that's a close shot at how it is we ought to lead people. Out in front. Don't ask them to do anything we wouldn't do. Be clear about what it is we expect of them. And then feed them. And you've got a good leader. Now he drops down and says, you know, how, how wonderful it is and uh, that we should do this without any grudging or money grubbing. Uh, this will never make you rich. If it does, something's gone haywire. And often it does. Uh, a good interpreter of the scriptures can oftentimes be well rewarded, well rewarded above the means of many of him that he's leading or she, she's leading. But is that right? I don't know. I know that God wants us to do our work unbegrudgingly, this text tells us. Not for what we will get out of it, but because we are eager, eager to serve the Lord. 
Oh, that's that's good. Uh, that's good. Eager to serve the Lord. And he says, which I think is one of the best ones, don't be tyrants, he says. Don't be tyrants. A, a despot. To be sitting up on a throne and ruling by your charismatic personality or some other fool thing. But you are the dictator of the people you're leading. Well, don't do that, says the writer of this text. Don't be like that. Don't be that kind of a pushy, over self-centered individual that purports to be leading the flock of God. Don't do that. Some things in this text you do and some you don't. So it's the I guess you would say the do's and the don'ts of Christian leadership. Well, then he goes on to talk about how it is that we all together in this thing have certain things we need to do too. He sort of takes the focus off of the elder there and turns it around on the flock, including the elders and Steps aside and tells him, calls him, you younger men, he says, uh, in this, this interpretation I'm looking at, has, has elders and youngers, but we know that that was probably a situation of included all kinds of people. They just included women, men, children. He was talking to, to them all. He wants them to live like servants and soldiers. This is something we don't think about too much. But the Bible is replete with opportunities for servicing and soldiering. We need these two things. We need servants and we need soldiers. It's become a habit every time you see a person in uniform, particularly in an airport or somewhere where you don't often see them, to say to them, Thank you for your service. Thank you for your service. You say that to a soldier. I've seen it said and it perks them up. It makes them feel like they are somebody. I can remember back to the days when the, the, the people came back from Vietnam and they were just they were just not loved and they were screamed at and hollered at. I just think it was the terriblest thing I ever saw. But now it's changed. We've had some wake-up calls, you know, like 9-11. Hello. <laughs> Hello, God, it's me down here. Help us out. Thank you for your service. And it has broadened to include first responders. It makes me proud to see the gallantry in the firemen down there, right as we speak, in Sanibel, Florida, wading through Water nibbled up to their necks trying to get to a fire truck that is covered up with water. It's just terrible time, but they're gallant and brave. Thank you for your service, hey, soldier. Well, soldiering, though, he talks to the, you and me. Soldiering is like servanthood. You are almost somewhat interspaced. He becomes more specific with the soldiering, though. 
And he talks about standing firm and being stubborn. He talks about how you should quickly take the high ground. He talks about how we should recognize the enemy. How we should resist the enemy as a soldier. How we should be subject to our officers and the ability to take, carry out, and receive orders. That's right there. You say, well, where in the world do you see all of that? Well, be careful. Watch out for the attacks from Satan, your great enemy. He's telling you, it's just like war. You know, when I went into the ministry, it wasn't long before I discovered the best book in my library was called The Art of War. Why? Because Jewish people fight more than anybody on the planet, I think. And I, they were always trying to involve me in it by putting me on one side or the other, so I had to figure out how to, how to actually make war. Not that you hurt anybody, but that you get an intellectual ascension into a realm where you learn how to perceive of and then get yourself involved in and out of conflict. Because conflict is the nature sometimes of the church. The writer knows that, and he's writing to people like that, see? Who knows? It may have happened. But in any assault the devil makes on you, look out. You're going to have to either fight or run. And if you fight, you're going to have to do what he wants you to do, which is stand your ground. One of the great times that occurred in American history was at the Battle of Gettysburg. Most people know something about that. And there, Joshua Chamberlain, with his boy from Maine, stood on the high ground, a place called Little Round Top, and defended that position against the 15th Alabama, among other things, commanded by a man named William Oates. We don't know too much about him, but you people down south who study him, he was powerful. William Oates made the attack on men so tired they could hardly lift their heads up, had no water, no food for days, barefooted, climbing up that old briar patch of a rocky, stony hill into the teeth of the main boys, and the battle was on. And Joshua Chamberlain, with the boys from Maine, said, Gentlemen, we're going to have to be stubborn today. And they were. <laughs> they were stubborn. They were stubborn. Finally, when the battle was just about done, Joshua Chamberlain could sense victory in the air. And he told his Yankee boys, charge, charge, charge. And they charged on the 15th Alabama. And they were so tired and broken and driven back that the battle was won. Primarily, they are, listen, on the basis of standing your ground and resisting your enemy. That's the art of war. From that, we can learn how to face the evil one when he comes quietly. <clears throat> the text tells you he comes like a, a roaring lion. But the devil doesn't always roar. Sometimes he he uh, sneaks up on you. Sneaks up on you. I was in the Washington Zoo one day, and I'd been looking at all the animals, and I, I wasn't looking around myself too much. And, and uh, I was standing there, and all of a sudden I felt something breathing into my 
ear. And I turned to look, and there was a, a lioness who had walked across that cage and had put her nose right up into that cage, and I didn't hear her walk. And it wasn't until later that I realized that lion has padded feet. It's like somebody walking in wool bedroom slippers. You can't hear them. And when I looked and saw that lion, I thought, my God, I'm thankful for the bars that are here. Because she looked like she wanted me for supper. There's no question. <laughs> the devil wants you for supper. He wants you to suffer for take he wants you for supper. He wants you to to what Paul Tillich, the, the theologian said, the devil is in, wants to deface you. He don't want to necessarily kill you, because you got nothing to do with it if he killed you, but all he wants to do is wah, tear the skin off you. Because he knows who you belong to. And he by by his nature knows who your boss is. And his attack is uphill on you. And what we have to do, of course, is resist him. First, you have to recognize him and then resist him. This sermonhood section tells us that we must kind of lay ourselves down. Not just be good soldiers, but be good servants. Trusting in the Lord and remembering that all around you are Christians who are going through Something like you are. Therefore, you are naturally equipped by your own suffering to suffer with others. I tell you, it's a great powerful thing when somebody can be with you and support you in your suffering. And they have been through what you are going through. Remember, Christians all around the world are going through those sufferings too, says the writer. And he says in verse uh, 10 thereafter, you've suffered a little while. Our God, who is full of kindness through Christ, will give you his eternal glory. He will come and personally pick you up, says my Bible here. Come personally pick you up. I want you to... And set you firmly in place and make you stronger than ever. Well, I think, I like to think of that as how God will take us to heaven. How we will be in that community of the kingdom above and below, which we are surrounded by a community of angels. I read the other day that just comforted me when I heard that. As a servant, he will come and pick you up. You know, it's one thing for somebody to invite you to church. It's another thing for somebody to come and actually pick you up and take you to church. I love that motion picture, the apostle, when the preacher buys an old broken down bus from the school system and and paints it up and has has highway to heaven on it and every Sunday morning goes around the community and picks up poor people, just picks up, looks for poor people and picks them up and gets them on the bus, takes them to a little church and they sing and praise God together. Yes, it's one, it was one thing for him to invite people to church, but oh, he would come pick you up on that old broken down school bus. And I don't know about you, but some of the great things that have happened to me in my life 
Somebody has come and picked me up. You know, I don't know why, but the Emmaus movement, I was a, is a spiritual retreat that takes place in the church and the Emmaus people, uh, take you away for a weekend. And they don't let you drive there on your own. They pick you up. They come get you and take you and buy your lunch and then take you to the retreat center and go in there and get you straight. And that's a whole lot different than hey, you having to show up on time and be there yourself. Next time you think about it, think about who you can and go and pick them up. Just, just pick them up. And you'll be surprised what a blessing that is. Because one day, you see, we're going to be standing on the corner, minding our own business with our suitcases packed, maybe, if we're lucky. And the Lord is going to come. And you know what he's going to do? He's going to pick us up. <laughs> Just as simple as that. And take us to the community of the new birth, the kingdom of God. Take us away. And they're going to say, well, where did Gene go? He was here a few minutes ago, standing out there. Was, what? If his suitcases are still here. <laughs> you see, you can't take nothing with you when he comes for you. You see, the, the people of this community had the persuasion that they were just temporarily here and not long for here, like a, like a subway stop like a railway station, like a parking lot, like us being on the side of the road, just somewhere waiting for the time when God's going to come. God's going to come and pick us up. And there's a little bit of suffering that we do here. Oh, it, we, it's just a temporary thing until we go to be with him in the kingdom. Well, stand firm. Servant and soldier. Be stubborn today. Get yourself on the high ground. Uh, an attack can come from anywhere. Be awake. It says in the eighth verse. Be woke. Not in the political sense. But be really awake. Alert. The word for that is Gregorian. Gregorian, the word for Gregoria is awake, watchfulness. Be watchful. Those fellows that do the Gregorian chants in the medieval church, they would get up at all hours and meet and pray. It was like three o'clock in the morning was one of their calls and they'd, it was a hard one. They'd get up at about three o'clock and they'd all go to the chapel and get together and sit down and they'd be you know, tired and one would fall asleep, the other one would pull the other one up, and they, but they would be watchful, watchful, watchful. Because the devil will make an attack on you. A frontal assault, flank, you come at you from the side, sometimes from the rear when you least expect. Sometimes he'll come behind the lines, right into the church. Make an aerial assault. Like a paratrooper, like a drop of oil, come down, and he just knows he's don't mind being surrounded. But when he hits the ground, he's after you. So we awake for that. Now, if I've personified evil a little bit too much for you this morning, I don't apologize for it. 
Because that's what the Bible does. It doesn't talk about evil, you know, in, in a disconnected way. It associates them anthropomorphically with an angel that fell from heaven. So we, we're safe doing that. But let me say, before we go, uh, just a couple of things that I used to teach you this morning. Cause I think that's fair. You might want to teach yourself, teach, teach somebody. You may be a teacher. I don't know, but I use that living Bible again for the verbiage that came out of the, uh, biblical text. And I did use my outline Bible, which is, of course, this, the outline Bible. It's very helpful in association, making association of things as I was able to do with soldiering and servants, you remember, and elders who feed and lead. There are conjunctions that, that are helpful. And I was able to dial that up from the outlines going on. And I got a little off base on you might think on the Civil War, but I really didn't. I really didn't. If you Southern folk want to read about Gettysburg from a different perspective, I suggest Gettysburg Requiem, which was written by William Oates himself, who made the assault on Joshua Chamberlain in 1863 in the Civil War. Oh, and if you want the other perspective, too, you can get the book Killer Angels, which is also by a fellow named Michael Sherraw. Uh, Michael's book is older than, than this uh, one that Glenn Fantasi wrote up about uh, Gettysburg Requiem. The author for Gettysburg Requiem is Glenn W. Fantanzi. He's a professor. It's good, good books, good books, good, good knowledge for you. Well, I hope you've enjoyed being with me today as I've enjoyed being with you. And I'm going to tell you farewell, and I hope to see you again really, really soon. And uh, I pray God's blessing on you this day in the name of Jesus. And I bid you farewell. Amen. Bye-bye. Brilha a luz que é no meu viver.